Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 230, and we are recording on May 5th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. How is it May? It is May. It's gonna be May. It's gonna be May. I definitely posted (laughs) that gif in the work slack, and I was not sorry. Ah, Justin. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. That's it. Just it's, it's May. Time is happening. I had an um, amazing encounter at a gro- the grocery store last week. Right, went to you know pick something up when I was checking out. It was like noon, and the clerk, the person checking me out, was like, "Okay, have a good night." I mean, morning. I mean, whatever. And I was like, "Honey, time has no meaning here anymore." <laughs> and she was like, "I know." <laughs> and that is that is my story. <laughs> the best interaction I've had with other people, because of course we're not interacting with other people right, right now, was actually, so Pennsylvania has some wonky liquor laws, and they just recently started doing it where you can go and pick up like curbside pickup from the state-run liquor stores. And so we like, you know, place an order for some whiskey and some wine, and I went to go get it. And it was this whole, like, elaborate thing where I had to, like, hold my ID up to, like, the closed window. And then they, like, (laughs) handed me out the bag real quick. And we're all wearing masks and gloves. And it's a whole thing. But as I was walking back, you could kind of see what I was carrying. And this guy with his two little girls was, like, you know, walking up the street, you know, masked, et cetera. And, like, I was like... Where did you get that? <laughs> I was like, oh, there, you know, you have to call, but you can pick up orders right now. And we had this like whole lovely, like five minute conversation about like what our favorite like whiskey cocktail was. And like the little girl was like, look at my ice cream. And I was Aww. just like, oh, right. I remember what interacting with people is like. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be so awkward when we get out of here. Yeah, it's a weird world right now. Okay, well, we hope you are all having at least occasional nice interactions as well. Uh, Welcome to the show. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about how this actually is supposed to work. So y'all send in your reading recommendation questions. They can be for you if you love a certain type of book or a very specific book and are having trouble finding more like it. If your book club needs a recommendation, you need something for a friend or relative, whatever, we will do our best to find you your next great read. If your request is time sensitive, like you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, please put time sensitive and the date, all caps, when you send in your request. And you can send those in either by email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can send them in the form that is in the show notes for every episode of the show on the site. And yeah, if we don't think we're going to get to it on the air, we might send you an email. So keep an eye out for those. Um, Let's see. We did not collect any. There's probably feedback sitting in there, but we didn't look for it yet today. (laughs) So we'll just get right into it. We're going to read the first question and then do our first sponsor and start the recommending. 
All right. So the first question is from Morellis, who says, I, like many others, am working from home during this craziness and I'm feeling the anxiety big time. My usual reading isn't working for me. The only things that have allowed me to escape and immerse myself in a story have been kid lit books such as Mysterious Benedict Society and the Mr. Lemoncello series. Something about the group of quirky kids doing smart things to solve puzzles is fun and non-threatening and allowing my brain to function for a bit. Can you please recommend other books similar to this if they come in a series even better? All right, before we get into that, let us do our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them. But he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage. But as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, He'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Amanda, kid lit fun puzzle quirky kid books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I picked The Gauntlet by Karuna Riazi, who is, full disclosure, a contributor at Book Riot. But her first book came out before she became a contributor. And we have recommended it on the show before that also. So the second book also is called The Battle. And I'm recommending both of these because my son just read both of these and loved them so much. So the first one is kind of a Jumanji-ish steampunk adventure middle grade story. It's about three friends. The, the main character's name is Farah. She's 12 years old. And she gets a game for her birthday that her brother opens and starts playing with her little brother. And her little brother is like, you know, kind of annoying and gets into her stuff. And so she's mostly irritated by the fact that he's doing this, but then he gets sucked into the game and she's mortified. And so her and her two best friends follow to go save him from like, what? 
who knows? And inside this game, it's been built by someone called the architect. And it's like very diabolical. And there are like levels that they have to beat in order to get to where the architect is so they can figure out how to go home and save her baby brother. Um, there are there's like a lizard rebellion happening with these sentient lizards. The, the, the leader's name is Henrietta. She's amazing. There's an aeronaut. There are a lot of like skeletons and creepy spiders that are coming for them and they have to solve all these puzzles. It's like peril, but very low stakes because, you know, nothing's going to happen to them, you know. And then the second book is kind of similar. It's lots of puzzles and riddles that the kids have to solve, but it's in a virtual reality world. So it goes from like sand and dunes and kind of old feeling ancient relics kind of adventure to like a very tech kind of adventure. And it's just a lot of fun. So that's The Gauntlet by Karuna Riazzi. I picked the Secret series. The first book is The Name of This Book is Secret by Pseudonymous <laughs> Bosch, which is obviously not his real name. And I picked these because they are kind of like a cross between Lemony Snicket and the Mysterious Benedict Society. And like a thousand years ago when I was a bookseller in Utah in Salt Lake City, we sold a bajillion of both of these series to the same people. Like it was... This was like the tried and true, like, you liked this? Here's this, and vice versa. Um, plus also the Lemony Snicket, like, you know, it's got that, like, kind of dark, funny horror twist to it, which is not exactly what you asked for. But again, I think the combination of those two things really work. They're really funny. They're really kind of meta. Like, the author of the book is just talking to you throughout the whole book. Um, and they do have a lot of fun, like, puzzly adventure bits to them. So I think this would be a very easy brain distraction for you right now. So again, that's the Secret series, and the first book is The Name of This Book is Secret by Pseudonymous Bosch. It's just never not funny. It's never not funny. It's so... I mean, I love a Hieronymus Bosch, like, <laughs> reference no matter what, and especially in Kidlet, like, you're just mm -hmm. like, that's not... And then the fact that the pseudonym is Pseudonymous, I just... It's just my favorite. That's my favorite. <laughs> Very clever. Very clever. All right. Our next question is from Stephanie, who says, I love books that are made up of a series of short vignette-like chapters or essays which weave together and crystallize into the story of a life or a happening. Nonfiction books that have scratched this itch for me are Seven Good Years by Ecker Carrot, Man Without a Country by Kurt Vonnegut, and The Opposite of Fate by Amy Tan. The writings of Anthony Bourdain and Joan Didion, who I also love, get me part of the way to what it is I'm looking for, but not all the way there. The only fiction book that I found in this wheelhouse is 20 Fragments of a Ravenous Youth by Zhao Lugo. Jennifer Egan's Visit from the Goon Squad and David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas come close. I'm hoping you could recommend two fiction and two nonfiction books that might fit the bill. Okay, we didn't do the two and the two. We did one and one because that's how the show works. So much love, but you know, that's what you get. <laughs> so I picked Weather by Jenny Offal for this question. And this is a new book. It came out this year. It came out in February. And it is very, Jen Jenny Offal is very like famous for writing these kind of vignette like snippet pieces of nonfiction that create a story or a narrative, which seems to be exactly what you're looking for. And in this one, in Weather, it's about climate change. And the main character, Lizzie, is a librarian in New York. And she is also uh, working as an assistant for a woman named Sylvia, who's a climate change expert who has a podcast called Hell and High Water. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Thank you. Uh, I said thank you like I came up with it. I, didn't, I just said it. <laughs> uh, and Sylvia has asked Lizzie to work for her and answer emails. So that's what Lizzie does with most of her time. She works at the library and she answers emails both from like progressive left wing people who were worried about, you know, climate change and the end of the world and having all this existential dread. And also from like really 
fringe right-wing preppers who feel like civilization is falling apart and where should they put their bunker? So she's getting it like both sides of the, the, the panic, so to speak. And then she's got things going on in her normal life. Like she, her and her husband have been married for a long time. They have a small child and all the struggles that come with that. Her brother has just had a baby and he is a drug addict and he's in recovery. So she's dealing with that. Her mother's also got some mental illness. So just like a lot of, you know, life stuff happening while also dealing with this huge existential dread and should I become a prepper? And like, obviously the world and civilization is and en- is ending. Like it's undeniable that climate change is happening. And here I am making bread. Like I don't, what am I doing? You know, and I read this as the pandemic was first starting and it felt so relevant. Like obviously it's about climate change and not about a pandemic, but this idea of everything is falling apart. Like all these systems that construct our civilization are are disintegrating right now, but I still have to pay my electric bill. You know, I still have to mow the grass. That weird just dichotomy of huge tragedy and everyday happenings is so perfectly written in in these vignette, really short chapters that are just her thoughts. You know, like she'll read an email from some extreme prepper person and then have a one-off line about it that's just cuts right to the heart of that tension of like, I want to fix the planet, but I don't have time because I have to vacuum. You know, like that that weird thing that that I think a lot of progressives live in, where like you want to save the planet and you want to fight for justice and you want to do this and you want to do that. And you also have a little bit of survivor's guilt because like you're kind of doing okay. And like, obviously the world's on fire. It's just great. So that's Weather by Jenny Offal. I have a nonfiction for you. You said you liked writer memoirs. Boy, do I have one. (laughs) (laughs) It is Ordinary Girls by Takira Diaz. And this book comes with so many trigger warnings, uh, including graphic harm to children, drug use, sexual assault, mental illness, homophobia, self-harm, suicidal ideation, racism, like just the whole gamut of that. And it is, it's exactly what you're saying. It's sort of, it is an essay collection that when you put it all together, shows you this sort of kaleidoscopic view of Diaz's life. And it is really interesting because it it does move around in time and space. It's not a straightforward linear progression, but the book is a memoir. So it's it is sort of like that, you know, like I said, kaleidoscope or jigsaw puzzle piece that, you know, each scene sort of builds and connects to the next, but not necessarily in a linear way. And Diaz is such a good writer. And she has lived through a lot of things. She was born in Puerto Rico and then at a certain point in her family moved to Miami Beach. And her mother struggles with drug abuse and mental illness and her, you know, home was dysfunctional and they are also very poor. And so she's dealing with just like everything. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, her she's uh, Afro-Latina. And so there's, you know, issues of race and culture involved. And she experiences just a lot of difficulty and challenges and really struggles to figure out like, how to be in the world when her surroundings are just so chaotic and violent and oppressive. And I feel like, you know, this is one of those books that really does just like, it's a punch in the gut. It's really heart-wrenching. But she is so, I don't want to say hopeful, but she finds meaning in this struggle and she has perspective 
But she's also taking you right into it. So, like, that's a really difficult balance, I feel like. And she she finds it. I do think she finds it, which is helpful because, you know, when something is just, like, too much, <laughs> it's really hard to get through. And like I said, this is a difficult read, but I, I just am so glad that I read it. I can't wait to see what she writes next. Uh, she's, you know, got a journalism background, but also has, um, you know, I think she mentions she is working on fiction in certain moments. And I just think her use of language, the way she immerses you in her own story, um, I can't wait to see what else she writes. And so, again, that's Ordinary Girls by Jakira Diaz. Okay, our next question is from Maria, who also loved The Mysterious Benedict <laughs> Society. Uh, Maria says, I read a book called The Mysterious Benedict Society that is t- when I was 12 that has stuck with me for literally eight years, and I've never found a book like it. Kind of like Kingsman, but for kids. Basically a spy mystery book. Can you recommend me anything like this for adults or even YA? Uh, I'm just going to keep talking. So... It's not, I actually am giving you another kid's book, but like, it's so good. I think you're going to love it. Uh, It's Lawless. It's the first in the Lawless series by Jeffrey Selene. And it is 100% like spy school for kids with a mystery. But I love the twist on this because the main character, M, she has been homeschooled and she like doesn't because of that, she has sort of no idea that her education has been really odd. And like when she gets tapped to attend this very prestigious, mysterious school called the Lawless School, she goes and she discovers that like, oh, I've been taught how to be a super criminal. And, like, this is a school to finish my education as a super criminal. And, of course, there's a rival school and they're the bad guys. And, you know, the lawless school are the good guys, quote unquote, good guys. Um, And it's just such a fun, weird, twisty concept. And, like, nothing is as it seems. There's an amazing heist. They have to, like, plan this whole thing. And then, you know, who's the betrayer and who's on whose side and what's the right thing to do, quote unquote, right. Um, And it's just so much fun. The characters are so great. And it is sort of mature middle grade or younger YA, I think. So it's a step up in terms of the age and sort of experience level uh, from the Mysterious Benedict Society. So it is a step in an older direction, but it's just, they're just so great. It'd be a perfect like brain escape for what you're looking for. So again, Lawless uh, by Jeffrey Selaney. Okay, I did pick a YA novel for you. I picked Renegades by Marissa Meyer, which is the first in a series. And this is a near future science fiction novel where like, you know, society has crumbled and out of the rubble have emerged the Renegades, which is a group of superheroes who all have various and sundry powers who have decided to, um, you know, reestablish civilization act as kind of a peacekeeping governing body, so to speak, and, you know, fight for truth, justice, and the American way or whatever. And then the main character, Nova, is a teenager who is not a member of the Renegades. Uh, She is a member of the Anarchists, who in this kind of black and white telling um, of good and evil are the bad guys. These are the people who helped usher in the destruction of society and fight the Renegades at every turn and all of this. The thing that, like, society does not recognize here is that the Anarchists are not all bad, and the Renegades are certainly not all good. The renegades have a tendency towards authoritarianism and black and white thinking, and the anarchists are trying to fight for their version of justice in ways that they think are best, um, as is often, you know, the case. So Nova 
has a deep-seated resentment and hatred for the renegades because her parents were killed before society or like during the crumbling of society and the renegades who were supposed to be there to defend the innocent didn't do anything to help her family and so she has been carrying this like anger her whole childhood and has been training as a member of the anarchist to bring down the renegades when she can. And so when the book opens, she is executing a plot to kill the leaders of the the renegades, which does not go well, but and sends her on this mission to infiltrate the organization. And so she goes undercover as a different person with like a different set of skills and goes through like the testing to join the renegades and goes through the training. But as she's doing that, she meets a boy, because <laughs> don't they always, um, named Adrian, who is the son of one of the heads of the renegades and, and begins to realize that maybe the preconceived notions that she had about the group aren't correct in the same way that the renegades preconceived notions about her found family are not correct. So it's a lot of, you know, big ethical and moral questions, lots of ethical dilemmas and puzzles and things like that. But it's all wrapped up in this really fun adventure kind of spy undercover story. So that's Renegades by Marissa Meyer. Okay, question four is from Maria, who says, I just finished The Secret History by Donna Tartt, and I am very disappointed that I am not in Vermont studying the classics. I was wondering if you could recommend other books with that dark academia vibe. Okay, Jen, what you got? All right, I had to get help with this. And I picked for you Bunny by Mona Awad, um, which was recommended strongly by several contributors. And Kelly specifically talked about it on the All the Books podcast. It comes with a trigger warning for violence towards animals. And this is like a dark academia book that is like goes into the sort of horror area of dark academia. But there's also a lot of dark humor. All of the dark is basically what's going on here. And it is very much like Kelly called it a total evisceration of MFA programs and culture, which cracked me up. Um, And I think that there is like, obviously, that's not the primary thing that's going on in a secret history. But there is some of that. Um, The main character, Samantha, goes to a very selective MFA program at a New England university. And she is a scholarship student. And the rest of her like writing cohort are these like rich girls who call each other other bunny haha um and like she definitely feels like an outsider but then she gets an invite to their you know fancy smut salon as they call it and gets like drawn into their dark world where things bad things start to happen etc so you can imagine where that's heading and uh yeah i mean it's definitely in that same sort of area as Secret History, just leaning a little bit more towards the like horror supernatural side of things. So again, that is Bunny by Mona Awad. I picked If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio, which is if the Secret History were about Shakespeare instead of the Greek classics. So this is, again, a group of seven kids who have a, who are attending a really elite liberal arts college. I don't remember if it's in New England, but it's in a very, like, pastoral setting kind of a thing. Um, and these seven actors are studying Shakespeare. Um, and Oliver is kind of the main character. And when the book opens, he's in jail. So you know immediately <laughs> that, like, something has gone awry. You know, just like in the first chapter of The Secret History, somebody gets murdered. So, like, you, it's it's... There's no mystery about the bad thing that has happened. 
So Oliver has just served 10 years in jail for a murder that he may or may not have committed. And the entire book is you figuring out if he was rightfully or wrongfully convicted. So the day he's being released, uh, Detective Colborne, who is the man who put him in prison, is coming. He's retiring and he's come to see Oliver because before he retires, he just wants to know what actually happened. Like, did I get it right? You know, are you actually responsible for this crime? And so Oliver takes you back through his introduction to these other kids who were all so obsessed with Shakespeare. And it's just like the secret history where like this group of seven kids, they, it's very incestuous. Everybody's dating everybody else. They speak to each other in, in Shakespeare lines. Like it's just ugh, insufferable and amazing and beautiful <laughs> in the same way that the secret history is where like you want kind of all of them to be murdered. And, uh, but also you want to adopt all of them at the same time. And it's, it does this really interesting thing where the roles that everybody in this group gets cast in, like, the kind of the siren, you know, um, and the 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 leader, and then like the sidekick. Those are the roles that they get cast in in their plays, also. And then there is a new show that's going on, and the casting gets all mixed up in unexpected ways that creates all these resentments and jealousies because now they can't live out their the casting that they've decided for themselves and their friend group on the stage, and so it creates all this tension. Oh, I forgot. There is a trigger warning here for partner violence. There's a couple in the book, and the 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 boy who is you know, like the leader, he's cast as like the king and all the Henrys and all of that um, is abusive towards his girlfriend, who is another one of the characters and members of this of this group. And so one, you know, one night they're doing, I think they're doing Romeo and Juliet for the school and somebody ends up dead. I'm not gonna tell you who. I can't because I can't remember if you find out in the very beginning or not. So I'm just not gonna spoil it. But one of the group ends up dead. And like, which one of them did it? Or did he do it to himself? Question mark. And that is the mystery you are solving. So that's If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio. And now we are going to do our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santángel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at leebardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? 
right girl like we all know so just in case you didn't know author anna wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the twisted love series the king of sin series miss wong gotta go on on okay make sure to check out king of sloth by anna wong and thanks again to bloom books for sponsoring this episode All right. Next question is from Cooper, who says, I recently finished a video game called Bloodborne, and I'm looking for books with a similar concept, but find the pickings are slim. It's a narrative that marries a gothic Victorian era setting with dark urban fantasy and elements of cosmic horror, heavily influenced by Poe and Lovecraft, among others. I've heard of Monstromologist, but I'm doubtful it's what I want based on its young adult tag. All right. So I think the book I'm reading right now is perfect for you. Because it is dark AF. (laughs) It is extremely Poe. And I'm sure it's going to get even more Lovecraftian as it goes along. But it's doing it all in this really kind of sideways, topsy-turvy way. Um, It's Under the Pendulum Sun by Jeanette Ng, which won a big award last year that I can't remember the name of the The Astounding Award, I believe, is correct. And... I like, where do I start? So (laughs) the like plot line start of this is that the main character is the sister of a missionary, but he is a missionary to the Fae and has stopped writing letters back home. And so she talks the like mission people board organization into sending her to fairyland to go find out like what the hell is going on and she gets there and he's not there and she is installed in this like haunted mansion where there's mysterious manuscripts and doors that won't stay locked and like weird presences not to mention that like everybody else who's inhabiting the house like sort of the there's like a butler and a cook and then a companion and they're all very strange and It just gets weirder from there. And it's a really slow burn. I will say, like, there's not a lot of, what do I want to say, action. It's just, like, heavy, heavy atmosphere. What is going on? Who are these people? Like, Queen Mab has shown up. Like, what's going to happen? Everything is just bizarre and strange. And, yeah, I definitely like that gothic-y, poe atmosphere but uh, like i said kind of turned inside out and backwards and i'm really curious to see where it's going because i have no idea i genuinely have no idea what is going to happen to these two people i have not a clue uh but i yeah i i think the aesthetic is very much what you're looking for so again that's under the pendulum sun by jeanette ing Okay, I was so excited when this when this question came up because I had just finished a Victorian era cosmic Lovecraftian weird AF book <laughs> when this when this question came in. So I was like, oh yes, I have the answer. Okay, so my pick for you is From the Wreck by Jane Rawson. This is an Australian novel that takes place in 1859, and it is based very loosely, and you'll hear why in a minute, on the sinking of a steamship called the Admala off the South Australian coast. The author's great, great grandfather was on that wreck. And so she found a bunch of documents about his experience on the wreck and then wrote this very loosely <laughs> based book on, on his experience. So it's about a man named George who is on the steamship that that uh, sinks off the coast of Southern Australia. He is marooned on a piece of floating you know, flotsam with a woman who was on the boat with him, like one of the passengers, who is 
not human. And he can feel that she's not human. And she, like, feels soulless. She's not able to communicate with him in any kind of weird way. But she also keeps him alive through the whole experience. And he feels very haunted by her. Like, what is this a demon? Was was she something I imagined? Was she, like, a siren or a mermaid? Or, like, but she was on the boat and had legs. So, like, I don't know how that's possible. Um, and now I don't understand. And so they are uh, marooned uh, on this piece of flotsam for, like, seven or eight days. They resort to cannibalism. He's very traumatized by the whole experience. And then this the woman disappears once they're rescued and he can never find her again. But he feels so haunted by her, like like she took some piece of his humanity that he can't ever get back. So he tries to live on. Like he, he gets married. He has a couple of kids. He runs, I think it's a hotel or something like that for sailors uh, in town. But he's never able to shake this like just this haunting from this 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 woman. Turns out, <laughs> and you realize this very early, it's like the second chapter of the book, that the woman is actually a, a, an alien from another dimension and planet. Her her species has been like destroyed on their home planet and ever, all the survivors have fled to various, you know, time and spaces. Um, and she has ended up on Earth alone. And she doesn't mean him any harm. Like she's not trying to, she's not a demon, you know, like she's not a siren. She's not trying to kill him or hurt him or anything. She's trying to, connect with him because she's so alone. Like she is very much her own kind of cosmic horror. She's found herself on this planet where there there are none of her kind. She doesn't really understand how humans work. And so she's trying to, I mean, for all intents and purposes, make friends. <laughs> and she stays with him unbeknownst to him in like the form of a cat. She follows him off of the wreck and into his home and like is in his house for years and years and years. And then she she takes over um, the life of in the mind of his son it just gets weirder and weirder as it goes. And the boy is very aware that there's something that isn't a part of him in him. Like he feels that there are thoughts that come to him that, that he has no explanation for. He has like really intimate knowledge of the bottom of the ocean that doesn't make any sense. And of other, you know, space and time and time travel and none of it is is uh, sensical. And so it's like you're, you're, you're reading this book as it culminates to what has to be a climax, like a, a big fight almost or conflict or confrontation between George, who survived the wreck, and this woman who he thinks is evil and has been haunting him his whole life. Because she has been. Like, she has been around him trying to, like, protect him and and oversee his life and be a friend to him. And he's just taken... It's just like this weird cosmic misunderstanding. It's so bizarre. (laughs) And I could not stop. I couldn't put it down. I was like, I'm reading a book. Look, I'm reading a book about somebody's great-great-great-grandfather who actually survived this wreck but made weird by the presence of like a cosmic space time traveler who likes to pretend to be an octopus sometimes. Like this is just the strangest thing that I've ever read in my life, but it was so great. So that's From the Wreck by Jane Rawson. I was like getting chills when you're talking about possessed kids. That's my, I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah, yeah. And he like, she lives as like a piece of, like a birthmark on his skin. Ooh. And sometimes he can feel it moving. He no, like feeds Amanda, it. Like <laughs> I know it's so creepy and weird. But at the same time, like she doesn't mean anyone any harm. You know, like she's just there trying to like be his buddy. And it's just, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know. Okay, on that note. Yeah, right. You asked for cosmic horror and I gave you cosmic horror. <laughs> so question six is from G who says, I'm looking for a good book to get me through a bad time in my mental health. I don't want anything dark, deep, or tense right now. Just something light and engaging that I can escape into for a while. Okay, Jen, what you got? 
I have a book that I read recently because it was referenced in the This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal Elmotar and Max Gladstone, and I like became obsessed with it. <laughs> so welcome <laughs> to my obsession with Travel Light by Naomi Mitchison. And this is, I like, if you had asked me to guess when this book was written, I would have been like, oh, like 19, like... 20s, like maybe the 60s. No, this was written in 2005. But it has, <laughs> I know, it has that timeless fable feel to it. And I love it so much. And it is so just like pure and like a cinnamon roll of an escape book. It starts off in a very fairy tale way where there is like a young girl who is born to, you know, the king and then the king's wife dies and there's a new wife and she's not so into this other child. So the nursemaid of the girl, who can also turn into a bear, BT dubs, uh, takes the girl away from the castle and like brings her up in the forest as a bear. Like, and so the little girl, you know, grows up surrounded by bears and thinks she's a bear. She doesn't really understand people. And then she ends up going to live with a dragon for a while and is like, oh, maybe I'm more like a dragon than a bear. Like, maybe I'm a bear dragon. Who knows? Like, who knows? And then she starts to encounter people. And that doesn't go great. And then she ends up, like, going to Constantinople. What? It's really odd. I know. Just, like, bear with me here. And there's Valkyries and all kinds of mythological creatures. And she's just so sort of removed from humanity because of her strange, like, fabulous mythical upbringing that you get this, like, really sort of, like, you know, observer view of people that is that kind of soothing, like, aren't aren't people weird? Like, look at these people just, like, doing these weird things. And they're, like, you know, oldie-time people, so it's not modern day. But it is, it is, I just find that so soothing in a certain way. Like, it's so lovely. Just have people, somebody be, like, a little bit outside of it and be like, huh, look at these weird humans, like, running around doing weird human things. And then, of course, she she has her own journey that is just it is like literally epic. It's an epic fable story of this, you know, young woman. And, you know, they they comp it in the publicity notes to like Diana Wynne Jones and like T.H. White. And, you know, I would like put it up there with Ursula Le Guin. Like it's just does have that timeless fantasy story feel to it. And I just love it so much. It's and it is it's such a soothing escape because it's it just has the most like warm, welcoming, embracing feel to it. Like, let's go on a journey. There are bears and dragons and Valkyries and like aren't people weird? Like that's just <laughs> really soothing. So again, that's Travel Light by Naomi Mitchison. So my pick for this is The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa. I love romance for this kind of question, for this, like, I just need something nice where nice things happen to nice people. Like, I <laughs> totally feel that. I've been reading a lot of romance these days for that exact reason. No, I mean, that's not to say, you know, some romance can have very high stakes and be very full of, like, peril and angst and trauma and all of that. But there are also some very nice, soothing, chill ones. And this is very nice and soothing and chill. So, um, it's about a woman named Lena, who is a wedding planner, who is left at the altar by her fiance. The irony does not escape her. <laughs> and he says that it is because of some speech that his brother gave to him, convincing him that she was not the woman for him. And his brother was his best man. And so he has decided to call off the wedding. And that is sort of that. And so you fast forward, I think, two years since then to present day, where she's working as a very successful 
wedding planner. She doesn't have much of a romantic life, but that like legitimately doesn't seem to be a concern for her. Like she's just kind of rocking it at work. And then she gets offered a really amazing opportunity to be a wedding planner for a successful and elite and like very luxurious hotel chain. The like catch the way that the way that she gets this job is by making a pitch for why her firm is the best firm for the job uh, with a marketing company that the hotel has hired. The issue here is that the marketing company is owned by her ex-fiance and his brother, and she understandably hates both of them for a lot of reasons. And so she gets paired off with Max, who is the brother, the worst best man of the title. And they, you know, they just decide that this is a really big issue for in both of their careers. He was really drunk the night of her before her wedding. So he does not have any recollection of what he said to convince his brother not to marry Lena. He like really likes Lena and doesn't understand why he would have done that. But what's done is done. So they kind of agree to put aside their past and just work together for, you know, the sake of their dual careers. And while they're planning the pitch, they have to travel to some different weddings, spend a lot of time together, realize that they're not as bad as the other things. You know what I'm going with that. <laughs> and there's like, I just love, you know, eventually, of course, they fall in love and it all comes out that like they knew each other before. She has a big, very satisfying confrontation with her ex-fiance who turns out is like a lying jerk. But Max is like a very nice man who has all of his stuff all the way together, which is my favorite thing to read in romance when like the characters are adults who know what they're doing. And there's like very responsible sex had in this book. There's talking with word mouth about feelings. And Lena is a great, she's Portuguese her and her family features a lot in the book. And she like takes him to a capoeira class and kicks him in the face. Maybe not on accident, but maybe not on total purpose. You know, like, not on purpose. I just, my foot slipped. I don't know. So it's, it's, it's light. It's fun. The stakes are pretty low because despite the fact that they have emotional history, the two of them, you know that like if this weren't a romance novel and it didn't end the way that romance novels ended, they went about their merry ways, they would both be fine. You know, like the emotional stakes are not super high. So it's, it's a very soothing, easy thing to read right now. So that's The Worst Best Man by Mia Sosa. I love Mia Sosa. She's so good. She's great. (laughs) All right. Our last question is from Angela, who says, last year I read the Lady Sherlock series, and I think it was one of the first mysteries in series that I've read as an adult. I'd love a recommendation for a similar cozy mystery series that would provide at least a couple books worth of relaxing and compelling escape. Most important things to me are quality of writing, interesting characters, and some kind of feminist or LGBTQ-related theme to get me hooked. I like some elements of fantasy and or historical fiction, but those aren't necessary for me to enjoy a book. I definitely prefer reading about friendships or chosen family over romance. I've read a lot of the Sherlock Holmes retellings and have the Veronica Speedwell series on my TBR. What else would you suggest? Um, So I... This is on spec. I'm waiting for my library hold, the story of my life. And <laughs> but I I saw it referenced several times on uh, various reviews of books to read after you have read the Lady Sherlock series, which I love. So I feel like relatively confident that this is worth your time to try. The first book is called Her Royal Spiness, which is, I mean, come on, that's a great title. <laughs> They're by Reese Bowen, and the series is called Royal Spiness. And it is about a woman who goes by Georgie. Um, Her full name is like Victoria Georgiana Charlotte Eugenie. And she is a cousin to King George V of England, but she has no money. And she is trying to survive 
like on her own as just like a person in London in the 1930s. And she has no domestic skills whatsoever. Like she like is trying to figure out like how to boil an egg. She also like gate crashes a wedding. She's on the sly making money by cleaning houses. And then she gets asked to spy for the queen. And then she finds a body in her bathtub. Like, I don't, I mean, this all sounds great to me. <laughs> like, this all sounds fantastic. I'm very here for this premise. And like I said, it is a series. And uh, yeah, I I just, I look forward to the day that this library hold comes in because it does seem like exactly the kind of thing that I want to read right now. And there are, wait, I'm counting 14 books in the series. So if we like it, there are more for us. So again, that's Her Royal Spyness by Reese Bowen. I love that title so right? much. Okay, I picked the Cat Holloway series by Jennifer Ashley for you. The first book is called Death Below Stairs, and it is, I think, four books long at this point, maybe five. Um, and this is a, just like the Lady Sherlock series, it's a Victorian in the UK uh, murder mystery series. Cat Holloway is the main character, and she is a um, young cook. And not just a young cook, but like a really good one and a really sought after head cook, like head of household cook, not just like an undercook or whatever. And she has some kind of past that you glean information about throughout the book and then get more in the series. Uh, You know that she has left her previous job for undisclosed, mysterious reasons. But she's so good and so talented and capable and competent that she has no problem finding a new position. So she ends up taking a job uh, in the household of Lord Rankin. And it turns out that the household's a little bit strange. Like the, the, um, the Lord and the Lady don't seem to have a very happy or together marriage and lord rankin's sister-in-law also lives in the house and she is super eccentric she likes to wear men's clothing she hangs out with um like gasp women who read that sort of thing you know oh um and she hangs out in the kitchen a lot and wants to spend time with the servants more than it seems like she wants to spend time you know going to balls and doing that that whole thing and cat is like this is strange but I super don't care because rich people are strange and that's just how it is. And if they stay away from me and let me live my life and get money uh, for the things I need to do, then I whatever. But she can't help but get involved in their shenanigans. And it happens because she gets a young Irish assistant who um, starts working for her in the kitchen who ends up murdered. And Kat is the one to find the body. And the way that it's handled by the family and by the authorities doesn't sit right with her. And she feels responsible because this woman, um, or really this girl, I think she's a teenager when she starts working for her um what's her responsibility you know the employees in the kitchen are very much the cook's responsibility so she feels like she owes her this girl um some sort of closure in finding out what actually happened to her so she enlists the help of her friend daniel who is a delivery man to the house but is very obviously not just a delivery man and she knows him from her last job when he was posing as a gentleman and so like she doesn't really know what his deal is. Like, does he work for the police? Whatever the, you know, Victorian version of the police was at the time um, or what. But also she kind of doesn't want to know because, again, rich people are weird and like, just get away from me and let me live my life. But he's useful for this. So she enlists his help in finding out what happened to this girl. And <laughs> so much happens. Like, there's train robberies and the queen is involved somehow. And like, this poor woman just wants to make dinner. Like, I just want to make a beef wellington. Why are all these murders <laughs> happening all around me? Um, and then, of course, it, it carries on for four more books. So I don't know that, like, it definitely is feminist. She's not interested in getting married. She's not interested 
in um, performing any kind of like Victorian femininity. She's trying to provide for her family. Um, but it's also very class conscious. Like it's very much murder mysteries about the intersections of the up- the upstairs and the downstairs and how they can stand in each other's way pursuing their own goals uh, and how they can each like not really consider the other people. You know, it's just really, really fascinating. So that's Death Below Stairs by Jennifer Ashley. And that is our show. Whoop, whoop. We went all over the place in that one. We did. What mm-hmm. a range. All right. <laughs> Thank you all for the range of questions, as always. Thank you for listening. If you're so inclined to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. It helps other people to find the show. Thank you to our sponsors for making these episodes possible. And you can find us on social media in between shows. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me also on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. Or on Twitter as Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>